Dun, 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 dun. We're really giving up on this <laughs> theme music thing. Yeah, what 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 the heck was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have the the uh, energy to do a theme song today because this was a heavy lift as far as research goes. So that's what you get, my friends. I'm sorry. One day we'll have a real one, but for now, it's just us. Who are you? Oh, I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. Welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. We're two best friends who like to talk about mysteries, conspiracies, unsolved things of all sorts. For the record, everybody, I'm fine. Yes. Thank you for those who reached out in concern. I am still among the world of the living. Yeah, she's not haunting me while she's alive. She's just alive. Right. I mean, I think, no, I think you haunt me. I, anyway. I haunt you because I message you on multiple platforms multiple times a day. But at the same time, that's sometimes. while alive. I'm not yeah. deceased. No, she's not. She is not deceased at the time of this report. At the t- <laughs> someone could be listening to this in like 80 years. That's a terrifying thought. Oh, I think it's kind of cool. Wow, oh. like your great grandkids. I was gonna say our kids are gonna listen to this eventually. Maybe. Maybe it'll be like, like, mom's not cool. Yeah, so lame. Who has a podcast that's so 2020? Yeah. I'm super into the hypno-hologram beats now. Waka waka. (laughs) Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Zambia. If you'd like to see more of our nonsense, you can head to our website, at this podcast doesn't exist dot com. Dot com. There you can find all the correct buttons that will send you to our socials, to your email, um, to send us anything you'd like to send us, to the bingo card, to our, oh, to uh, if you want to listen to our podcast on our website, you're more than welcome to do that. They're posted there, but they're also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the regular places you get your podcasts. And if you go to those places, could you please just, you know, do a quick little subscribe, a quick snippy little review and, uh, you know, rating, just just a little thing, just tiny, tiny little thing. Um, it really helps to let your friends know about us. Um, yeah. I'm going to put it out here, guys. Uh, my birthday is in like two months, month, two and a half months. Yeah. It's in March. Uh, would love to see, I don't know, five, ten reviews. What yeah. a good birthday present would that be? That would be, be so lovely. So It'd please. make my little happy heart yeah. happier. Yeah. What's happening? I don't know. It is a little late, but lucky for you, it ain't a spooky. Yay! <laughs> After. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> well, Did you feel bad? Is that why? A little bit. Do yes. you felt really bad? <laughs> For full disclosure, you may have been able to tell. If you don't know what we're talking about, you got to go back and listen to last week's episode. I still haven't listened to it either, but let me tell you, it was a good one. <laughs> she experienced it. It was a lot, of, a lot, but in a good way. Yes. But by the end, I was laying on this futon, just flat out, hiding under a blanket, tears streaming down my face. That visual bit, there you go. It yeah. happened. And after I hit stop on the recording, I went over and like laid on top of her to hug her because <laughs> I felt like, so bad. You like uh, thunder jacket. I basically me. did like, like I was a, a dog. <laughs> scared dog in a thunderstorm. Scared little corgi. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what's happening today, Emma? Um, 
Today, my friend, we have a fun one that I think is actually one that you may have started research on, and I'm kind of afraid of that. Um, so I'm so sorry that I stole it from you. I didn't mean to. But anyway, let's back up a little bit. We have a friend named Tom. Not the Crypt King, and not Shelby's husband. We do? But a different Tom. Tom Emsley Smith. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was a little confused. Yeah. I met him at your wedding. Yes. I wouldn't say we are friends, he and I. We're Facebook friends. I think that he, you know, you know each other. <laughs> but I feel like he's more like, I think of him as more as you and Corbin's friend. So when you said we, I was like... No, that's that's totally fair. Panic. I was like, am I a terrible person? <laughs> I don't remember our friend. But, okay. Yes, I'm aware of this other Tom. Yes, the best Kayla caller in all the land. Yes, it's true. Yes, but he and his wife, Louise, um, stopped in D.C. this weekend via... Or by way of Ecuador to go home to London. And they got very excited about the fact that we have a podcast because apparently they didn't know. So, uh, Corbin, you're not doing your job. Wow. Um. <laughs> wow. Shots fired. No, I, 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 I'm truly joking. Um, but they got very excited about this fact, and I hadn't chosen my topic yet. Shocker. And so it was basically a half-day conversation about all these different theories and conspiracies and things like that. How many did they bring up and you were like, we already did it? Oh, the majority. Nice. <laughs> In fact, Louise was like, oh, what about Tupac? And I was like, first episode. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Um, may I interject with a semi-related of course. situation? Yes. So as you all know, dear listeners, Emma and I spend a lot of perhaps some would say too much time on TikTok. I would TikTok. not say too much time. Um, but someone this girl posted it posted a video of her I think it's just there's like an audio so you don't actually hear what she's saying, but she is very animatedly talking. It's like shot from as if you're looking at her from across a table at a restaurant. Okay. And the the text on screen is like my date getting very concerned as I continue to tell him about the Denver airport conspiracy You said theory. this to me, yes. Or whatever. And I, and her, and in the hashtags or her username or something, it's like dating in DC. Yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. And I, so I commented, I was like, wait, I too live in DC. I said in the DMV because people who live in DC get very uppity about it and I'm like come on y'all we all deal with traffic it's fine I was like wait I too live in the DMV and literally covered this topic on my podcast and then she responded today being like wait what's your podcast so I I added us we are on TikTok we're not as active sorry I seasonal depression guys what's up um but it's fine uh so hello if anyone has found us through Hi. Or if you found our podcast through my Bumble profile, welcome. Hi, friends. <laughs> How are you? I'd love to meet you if you're cool. I mean, I'd like to meet them first before they meet oh, you. Oh, that's that's true. You should probably meet them but first. They even save me some time. If I vetted them? They go through you and Corbin as like a screening process, like American Idol. Oh my gosh. Before you get to the judges. I'm definitely Paula Abdul. You have to go through the producers. I'll just get drunk and watch. <laughs> Oh, but then what's... I feel like Corbin could be either... uh, Simon. Simon or Randy. Like, I feel like he oscillates between very serious, like... Technical. Actual, real questions of, like, so what are you doing with your life? And then other times being like, 
Yo, dog, that's great. Not that he would say that, but like Randy would no, say that. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I would place him in the position of Simon because I think he would take the position very of seriously. being on it. Yeah, on a panel very seriously. And then Erica is Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Just like, yes. I like this panel. Yes. I'm here for it. All oh, right. and then our presenter, our host. Is who? Shelby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. Wow. So if you would like my dating life to be a reality TV show, <laughs> let us know. We'll start a Patreon. Right? Oh my gosh. You too could be an executive producer. Hey. Anyway. Anyway. They were in DC. They were in DC. They were asking you stuff. You were like, <laughs> we already did that. Yeah. But then I'm assuming they brought up something that you were like, <gasps> wait. Exactly. So Tom was very emphatic all of a sudden in the car and he was like, oh. <gasps> Have you heard of Mary Rosa? So Mary Rosa makes a third pint of mayonnaise, two tablespoons of tomato ketchup, a half teaspoon of cayenne pepper, and a dash of both Tabasco and Worcestershire sauce. Mix until smooth and pink, and then add two teaspoons of brandy and a squeeze of lemon juice to taste before adding some salt and pepper. Serve with shrimp, salmon, or even french fries. Obviously, this is a recipe and not a mystery. Uh, so Tom actually did mean the Mary Celeste. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> good to know. You good? I mean, yeah, I'm just not going to have as good reactions. <laughs> I'm I sorry. Know you know everything stuff. about it. All right. So let's dive in. So the Mary Celeste was built at Spencer's Island, Nova Scotia, Canada. Its name was actually Amazon. It was a brigantine, which is a larger ship with two masts, and it was 99.3 feet, 30.3 meters long, 25.5 feet, 7.8 meters wide, with a depth of 11.7 feet, 3.6 meters, and 198.42 of gross tonnage, so she big. She thick, thick. Nine locals of Spencer's Island owned Amazon together, including the man who built the ship and another man, first at the helm, Captain Robert McClellan. Under the British-Canadian flag, the ship started its maiden voyage in June of 1861 to pick up a cargo of lumber at Five Islands, Nova Scotia, with the intent of sailing on to London. After it was loaded up, however, Captain McClellan fell ill. The ship went back to Spencer's Island, where McClellan suddenly died on June 19th. Mm. So this is not a great start. John Nutting Parker took over as Amazon's captain and sailed the ship to London, hitting fishing equipment in Eastport, Maine on the way. Whoops. <laughs> Their cargo was offloaded in London, but on the way back, Amazon collided with, a, collided with and sank a brig in the English Channel. So she's making an entrance. Even with this entrance made, this vessel had quite uh, had a quiet few years on the sea. Primarily working in the West Indies trade, Parker remained in command until 1863, when the torch was passed to William Thompson. According to a mate who sailed on Amazon during this time, nothing unusual ever happened. So even with the kind of start that she had, yeah, she was chill. She was fine. She was a boat. In October of 1867, a storm hit off the coast of Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, and Amazon was driven to shore badly enough that the crew and captain abandoned her, and the owners believed her to be a wreck. Like, me too, girl. <laughs> the ship was bought by Alexander McBean, 
who then sold it to a local businessman who turned, who in turn sold the ship in November of 1868 to Richard W. Haynes. Haynes was from New York and spent $1,750 to buy the wreck and then another $8,825 to fix it. Okay, but imagine an HGTV show that's like Fixer Upper, but instead of houses, it's like shipwrecks. Oh, that'd or be like so one cool. of those, um, cause there's at least one, or at least I've seen footage of it, but this like cruise ship that like is on a beach. Yeah. Abandoned. abandoned. Just imagine. Oh. They turned it into like an Airbnb hotel. You know that people would definitely go for that. I mean, I think I would go to that one cause it's like probably not haunted. Cause I think they just like, it like wrecked, but it wasn't like Titanic. No, they moor ships all the time. They were just like, oh, we're just gonna. Yeah, they do it all the time. There. So I'd be like, okay, I could be inside a revamped, abandoned cruise ship. Yeah, maybe. And it wouldn't have. I wouldn't sleep by myself though. I was gonna say it wouldn't. It wouldn't have the kind of people who would be there to find ghosts. So it would be chill. I mean, one would hope, but I would need a roomie. <laughs> I'm not staying by myself, just in case. You never know. There might be jungle ghosts. Ooh. I like like the phrase. Other, like, ocean ghosts that they, like, wanted somewhere to crash. Oh, finally, dry land. They're like, we're taking a vacation. They're playing shuffleboard. They're like, yeah. I really like that. They got really good ectoplasm on the buffet tonight. <laughs> nice and smooth, silky, with some Mary Rosa sauce. It was very nice. <laughs> I'm just picturing like Danny Phantom style ghosts. Yeah. Right? Like, they mostly look like people except they have like tails. Yeah. But they're in like, no, what I'm picturing. <laughs> no, sorry, Danny Phantom. What I'm picturing is the genie in his vacation dad shirt. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing right now. Oh, I really love that. Robin Williams, R.I.P. Love you. Haynes took the helm as captain in December of 1868, which was a really quick turnaround. Like, that was like a month to fix this boat. Fix her up or we're on a TV schedule, Emma. I mean, that's just... Wow. And with this, the ship became the Mary Celeste under the American flag. And there's no clear reason why the ship was named Mary Celeste that I could find. Like, there's no person that they named it after or anything. It was an ex. He didn't want to talk about it. (gasps) Just saying. I know somebody whose name is Mary Celeste. Oh, who? Mary Celeste. That's who. (laughs) She was like my, um... My, like, fairy god vixen senior year. Oh, she adopted, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, me and the three other people at my quad. Yeah. And sent us presents. That's so sweet. She's I a, remember that. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. If you had a boat, what would you name it? I don't know. I couldn't think of an answer either. I wanted like, to think of some, like, good pun. <laughs> well, like, my, my brain is just like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> have a boat. They're expensive. The upkeep. The danger of drowning. Uh, yeah, I think I wouldn't name it, like, a name, like, a person's no, name. uh uh-uh. It would have to be some sort of, like, artsy-fartsy, like, chasing the horizon or something dumb like that. Yeah. The colors of the wind. 
<laughs> you just have a fleet of ships and you name them by the I Want song of all the 90s, like, Disney movies. Uh, adventure, dot, 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 in the great wide somewhere. <laughs> Part of your world. <laughs> Chasing waterfalls. Yeah, because TLC, everyone knows they were classic Disney princesses. <laughs> that song is actually about AIDS. Is it really? That's what someone told me once oh. when I was teaching children at a theater camp. Oh, wow. I was the voice the teacher. Spot. Not like, la, 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 but like articulation and diction. Oh, I see. It was for Shakespeare nerd camp. Oh, right? that's right. I remember this. Um, yeah. <laughs> was I qualified? <laughs> Did we make it through? Sure. The third week was always Greek week. Which is very funny when you get a bunch of 9 to 16 year olds to be like, Greek week! Oh my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. I made them wear togas. <laughs> but they didn't have to. But I, I made togas out of like my bed sheets. For them to wear. For them to wear. Because they had to do like a debate. Like they pulled a topic. So it was like, pancakes versus waffles. Marvel versus DC. That's cute. But we were doing the Odyssey or something. One of those old Greek myths where a man on a ship gets distracted by some sirens. Yep. And the director, Jeff, shout out to Jeff, he wanted the sirens to like sing a song, like a modern like pop song, because it would be funny Mm -hmm. for the parents. And he's like, but you can't do Chasing Waterfalls. And I was like, why? And he's like, it's about AIDS. And I was like, oh. So so I was trying... I don't know how successfully I taught them, but they did um, the chorus of The Tide is High by Blondie. But I'm holding on. Yeah. It was... It happened. In children voices. I'm gonna be Except, your like, none of them really one. want to be singing, right? So it's just, like, really awkward, and you're like, we should have just cut this. Yeah. But the joke is there, but is the joke being delivered... Is the joke even funny? ...by children? Is it? Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's like closing time is about his kid being born. Yeah. Yeah. Which blew my mind when you told me that. I know. It's like, and then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh my gosh. It wow. Makes it so poetic. It really is. Yeah. Or like mommy kissing Santa Claus isn't about an affair that the mom is having with Santa. It's about the dad dressing up as Santa and kissing mom under the mistletoe while putting out presents. Like... Only because the mind. real Santa is really busy, Emma. He's so busy. Nora, and like, and he would also he baby would, Nora, don't listen to her. He also would never cheat on Mrs. Claus. Never. Have you seen Mrs. Claus? No, but I imagine she's a babe. Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, Santa wouldn't have obviously married her. Duh. Because he's got to, you know, he's got to have something to come home to to be like, oh my gosh, I've been so busy. I've I've been all around the world. And you know what, babe? I've looked everywhere and no one is as beautiful as you. Wow. Yeah. Babe, a babe in the eyes of Santa. How about that? No, I just think she's a babe. Oh, all right. And she's also like really smart and good at designing toys. Also, her name from one of the sources that I have watched previously um, is Emma. So. Wow. Yeah, that makes me really happy. What a good career path you find yourself on. Oh my gosh, can you imagine if Corbin dressed up as Santa when he's older? Are you going to cry? No, I don't. I just, I was like, I don't know. That's weird. We're old. 
I or, mean, like, or when if he's you all like ever, I don't know why you would, but if you ever ended up at a McCarthy family Christmas, I'd throw you under that bus so quick. I'd be like, you know that Corbin would be Corbin will do it, and they'd be like, who is he? I'm like, it's my my wife's husband. Just get him, get him in the suspenders and the beard. Let's go. Honestly, I think he'd be he'd be like, yeah, sure, because well, it, it, it involves kids. So well, he'd and it would like, honestly absolutely. be ideal because they wouldn't know who he was. Exactly, and they'd be like, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> we thought we guessed this. Wait a minute. we thought second. we guessed the system. I panicked this Christmas. Why? Well, because it was very small. Because people were like isolating or like yeah. tested or whatever, so it's smaller. So there were only two actual children. Oh no, and. My cousin Grace was playing the role, and my gloves saved the day because Grace had a very nice manicure, so we were like, we got to cover it up. So I was like, black gloves, here you go. But so, jingle jangle, and we were trying to keep the kids in the front room so they couldn't see See? back in the garage, like the backyard. So they like snuck around to the front of the house, and we hear like jingle jangle. We're like, who is it? Oh my gosh. And we had been playing like a card game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids both for a second were not like mad, but they were like, there was just a different energy and like Zoe really wanted, it's, she was like, I want to keep, I was like, Zoe, it's Santa. Yeah. We can keep playing the cards after Santa leaves. Like Santa worked really hard last night and then he came to our house. Yeah. Amazing. And she's like, oh, okay. So we're like cleaning up and like, she looks amped. My goddaughter looks at me. In the face. She's five. Oh, no. Looks at me in the face. And I'm like, what's wrong, honey? Like, what's what's wrong? And she leans very close to me. And she goes, that's Grace. <gasps> and I go, baby. I go, what? No, that's Santa. And she's like. And I was like, no, that's Santa. You're being silly. And then I like promptly ran away because I was like, I don't know. I don't have the answers. So I went up to both of her parents and I was like, just so you're aware, I don't know. There might be questions. I don't, I didn't know how to handle it. So I ran away. (laughs) And that's on being godmother of the year. Panic. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. So I ran away. I just, I just played dumb and then left. It's just honestly a good policy in a lot of situations. When it comes to kids, it, it, I, I feel like it's a good rule of thumb. You don't know something? Play dumb, run away. Yeah. Sorry, I really got us That's off fine. on a tangent. You don't know what you'd name your boat either, right? No. Okay. Although, now I kind of want to name it Mrs. Claus. Just as like... <laughs> Mrs. Claus. So... Haynes took on quite a bit of debt to fix up the ship, and in October of 1869, after not being able to pay anything off, Mary Celeste was seized by the bank. Eventually, it was sold to a consortium headed by a man named James H. Winchester. Over the next three years, I know a Winchester, right? Huh? Eh? Over the next three years, Mary Celeste didn't seem to have anything eventful happen, as there are no records of its voyages during this time. In 1872, it was enlarged to 103 feet, about 31 meters, long, 25.7 feet, 7.8 meters wide, and deepened to 16.2 feet, 4.9 meters. Whoa. This meant that the ship was about four times as long as a double-decker London bus. So, like, four double-deckers nose to bumper was the length of the ship. That is... I never thought about that. Right? That I have can, found... Like, put an extension on a boat. Yeah. And I have found a website that does those, like, 
conversions to like normal things mm-hmm. for distances and things. Oh, I'm gonna send it to you because it just makes game changer. So, it, I, like it, I, I can visualize what it now. Statue of Liberty Deep. Yeah, well, it's actually a third of the Statue of Liberty, but like, no, I know, I'm talking about no, but yeah, Girl Lake Lanier. Oh, that's right. Yes. But, like, that's, it's so helpful for me to visualize it, and I feel like it helps listeners to, yeah, like, visualize I, I, it. Yeah, both the times this time that you, this episode yeah. that you were reading numbers, my numbers brain was just, just like, my brain was like, me. Yeah. <laughs> Mine was, too, which is why I was like, oh, how even big is that? Because it, it doesn't sound, like, 103 feet, I'm like, all right, that's big, but it's like, how big is but that really? Big, I don't know. So, like, four double-decker buses nose to bumper traffic got it yeah so it's that feels like pretty you've been on a double-decker bus you you like yeah it's pretty big sure so another deck was added as were new transoms which is a vertical piece on the decks bottom of the boat decks <laughs> i'm sorry i'm trying to be funny <laughs> you're good at it don't worry i i welcome it okay the new tonnage of the ship was 282.28 tons now she thick yeah with like three c's with three c's yeah by october 1872 the consortium included winchester two minor investors and another man the ship's new captain benjamin spooner briggs it was with captain briggs that the mary celeste would make its final voyage dun 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 i also really like that his middle name is spooner feels like a southern thing he's from massachusetts but i wonder if he's good at cuddling Oh, I like that. <laughs> also, his last name is Briggs, and like Brig, Brigantine, like it, it fits. It fits that he's a that he's a sea captain. So Benjamin Briggs was born April twenty fourth, eighteen thirty five, in Massachusetts. He was the son of a sea captain, so it ran in the family. And three out of the four uh, sons in the family, including himself, were uh, seafaring men. So. That was interesting in and of itself. In 1862, he married Sarah Elizabeth Cobb and took her on a honeymoon to the Mediterranean on his schooner, Forest King. Elizabeth Cobb? Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that cute? We know. What's up, Steve? We know an Elizabeth Cobb. Well, is her name still Elizabeth Cobb? It is on Facebook. All right, well. She's my other Steve. Steve. We're both... We're both Steve Rogers, and I'm not going to explain it because it, it would take a lot more time. That's fine. But the fact that he took her on a honeymoon to the Mediterranean, he seems like super romantic. Like, let's just, we're from Massachusetts, let's just go, let's just go hang out at the Mediterranean. I mean, I feel like you have to be really romantic if you're a sea captain because you're away most of the time yeah your imagination is just like constantly churning while you're bored out of your gourd looking at the horizon no 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 i meant like you have to be a good husband while you're there because oh, that's, you're gone most yeah. of the time i get that too um uh, like <laughs> you when you do see your wife you gotta bring that third movie and credit will turner energy when you see your wife again. That's fair. Or maybe, I'm I'm curious, I wonder if like a lot of sea captains' wives were introverts that were like totally fine. Yeah. They were like, all right, I love you. It's been a great month. You need to go. Yeah. Can you please leave? Is there something that needs to go to England? Here, take this. <laughs> Australia, perhaps? Here, take this case of wine. Bye. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> 
that. In September of 1865, they had a son named Arthur. And in October of 1870, a daughter named Sophia came along. So they're growing little family. By the time Sophia was born, Briggs was well-respected and considered an excellent seaman and captain. Even with this, he was considering retiring and going into business with his brother. But the call of the sea was too persuasive. What was the other brother doing? He was also a captain of a ship. So he's not really retiring. No, but they were going to go into business on the mainland. Oh, okay. (laughs) I I thought you were going to be like, and the fourth brother ran a newspaper or something. (laughs) Like, I was going to be like, oh, what a career change. No, I think he was a pastor. Oh, yeah, that checks out. They were like super devout Protestants. So, Massachusetts. Um, Yeah. But the call of the sea was too persuasive, and instead he invested in Mary Celeste with the desire to be captain. The first voyage as a newly fitted vessel was to take denatured alcohol, or ethanol, from New York City to Genoa, Italy. He wanted to take his wife and young daughter, as his son was old enough to be in school in Massachusetts, on this voyage with him. Mm -mm. This wasn't an unusual arrangement for the Briggs family. Just before Sophia was born, Arthur had accompanied both his parents on a voyage to Marseille. And they, like, Sarah was on, like, a couple of voyages, like, with him, just, like, you know... He doesn't want to be away from his wife. So, I get it. Cool. Cool. I'm glad we've progressed that women can be on boats Mm. and not be bad luck. Yeah. The new crew for Mary Celeste were handpicked by Briggs. His first mate was Albert G. Richardson, husband of a niece of Winchester, who was the main investor in the ship, and Richardson had worked with Briggs before. So he seemed like the perfect fit for a right-hand man. Second mate was 25-year-old Andrew Gilling. The steward was newlywed Edward William Head, who came by personal recommendation from Winchester. The other four general crew were all German. Brothers Volkert and Boz Lorenzen, Arian Martins, and Gottlieb Gudschall. Before the voyage, Briggs wrote to his mother that he was very satisfied with the crew he had assembled. And Sarah wrote to her mother and said that the crew appeared capable, quote, if they continue as they have begun, end quote. So basically, they're super nice. I mean, I'm going to be on a boat with them for a really long time. Hopefully they stay that way. On October 20th, 1872, Briggs supervised as 1,701 barrels of denatured alcohol were loaded into the cargo hold of Mary Celeste at Pier 50 on the East River in New York City. A week later, his wife and two-year-old daughter joined him. They waited out the storm, anchored just off Staten Island, and officially left for Genoa. No. Yeah. Genoa? Yeah. Yeah. I just confused myself. Yeah, your brain went Genova. Genova. (laughs) My brain went Genovia. (laughs) That's not real, Emma. I know! They waited out a storm anchored just off Staten Island and officially left for Genoa on November 7th. Just before leaving Staten Island, Sarah wrote to her mother-in-law, who was watching Arthur, quote, I make great dependence on the letters I shall get from him and will try to remember anything that happens on the voyage which he would be pleased to hear, end quote. On December 5th, 1872, De Gratia, a Canadian brigantine that had left New Jersey eight days after Mary Celeste, saw a vessel about six miles, 9.7 kilometers, in the distance, headed unsteadily for Dei Gratia. 
The ship's captain, David Morehouse, noted the erratic movements of the other ship and incorrect set of her sails. He tried a few signals but got no response. When the ship was close enough to Dei Gratia, Morehouse realized that there was no one on deck. Morehouse sent Oliver Duvaux, his first mate, and second mate John Wright in a ship's boat to investigate. Mm-mm. Mm. You won't catch me on that boat. Nope. No, thank you. They found Mary Celeste written on her side and climbed aboard. Once aboard the ship, it was clear that there was not a soul there. The sails, as Morehouse had seen it at a distance, were poorly set and in bad condition, a few even missing. Most of the rigging was damaged and the ropes hung loosely over the side of the ship. Two of the three hatches were open with their covers directly next to them. Two of the pumps were dismantled. The ship's binnacle at the helm, which held the ship's compass, was shifted and its glass broken. Using the sounding rod to test the amount of water in the hold, it was found that there was about 3.5 feet of water down there, which is about 1.1 meters. For a ship this size, this wouldn't be alarming. It wouldn't mean that the ship was taking on water because of a leak, but rather that a storm or a rain shower could have gotten in the ship's way and had water seep down into the hold through the decks. It's very normal for it to have some amount of water at the bottom. It's in water. The sounding rod, however, was not the usual device of iron, but rather of string and weight at the bottom. It was also not in its normal home and was abandoned on the deck. The main thing they noted was the ship's boat, essentially the lifeboat, missing from its spot above the main hatch. The pair, Duvaux and Wright, found the ship's daily log in the first mate's cabin. The final entry was dated 8 a.m. on November 25th, about nine days earlier. The final recorded position of Mary Celeste was off of Santa Maria Island in the Azores, about 400 nautical miles, 740 kilometers, from where she was now encountering encountering Dea Gratia. Duvaux saw wet and untidy cabin interiors, but that was most likely from water entering through the skylights and doorways of the ship, which was very normal. Otherwise, the cabin seemed fine and in reasonable order. While searching, however, he found strewn personal items in Briggs' cabin, including a sheathed sword. That's a hard phrase. Sheathed sword but couldn't find the ship's papers or Briggs' navigational instruments, which were essential for sailing a ship. All galley equipment was stowed away. There was no food in prep or already prepared, but a six-month supply stored, and no signs of fire or violence. Duvaux assumed that based on what he saw, the captain, crew, and family departed in an orderly fashion from the ship for some unknown reason. Once back on Dei Gratia, the pair reported what they found to Morehouse, and the captain decided to split his crew between the two boats to bring the abandoned ship to Gibraltar, 600 nautical miles, 1,100 kilometers, away. Duvaux manned Mary Celeste. The excursion was slow going, but only three men on Mary, with only three men on Mary Celeste and four on Dei Gratia, but they made it on December 12, 1872. The Vice Admiralty Court impounded Mary Celeste to prepare for salvage hearings. Under maritime law, when a ship is salvaged, the crew that salvaged it, i.e. brought it to shore, could earn a really good amount from the combined value of the vessel and the cargo as well, as a degree of danger was inherent in the salvaging. Um, Like a diminished crew in a longer voyage, they could basically collect on the insurance payout almost. The crew would then split the earnings of this. 
Salvage hearings commenced to determine the amount that would be paid out to the salvers, as well as an investigation as to why the ship was abandoned in order to ensure that the salvers didn't just take the ship and throw everyone overboard for the insurance. Frederick Solly Flood, the Attorney General of Gibraltar, a man described by a historian of Mary Celeste as someone who, quote, whose arrogance and pomposity were inversely proportional to his IQ, end quote, burn, headed the salvage hearing. Flood was convinced by Duvaux and Wright's testimonies about what they found aboard Mary Celeste to be evidence enough for foul play. An investigation was conducted and found the following. Cuts on each side of the bow, caused by potentially a sharp instrument, and noted by a group of Royal Naval Captains to be intentional, so man-made. Possible blood stains on Briggs's sword. No evidence that the ship had been involved in a collision or run aground at any point. And stains on one of the ship's rails that could have been blood, as well as a deep mark possibly caused by an axe on the same rail. Flood con concluded with this evidence in a report sent to the Board of Trade in London on January 22nd that the German crew had gotten into the ethanol and murdered the Briggs family and ship's officers in an alcohol-induced frenzy. They simulated a collision by cutting into the bow on either side and then fled in the lifeboat, though he believes that they then suffered a death at sea since they hadn't been found. Flood also asserted that Morehouse, the captain of Dei Gratia, and his crew were hiding that they had actually found Mary Celeste more, than to, more to the east than they claimed, and fudged the log to try and prove it, as Flood didn't believe that Mary Celeste could make it as far as they claimed unmanned. Which just feels kind of like... Okay. I don't know how that helps them in any way, but alright. There's an issue with this. Ethanol even then, was treated with chemicals to make it smell awful so that you can tell that it's not, like, what kind of alcohol it is. The same thing they do with gasoline. It's not the good alcohol. Yeah. It's not the stuff that'll make you, like, burn your throat. It'll, like, actually burn your throat. Like, burn it through. It's very much non-potable. Like, you can't drink it and not get very, very sick. So it could make you drunk, but it might most likely end up killing you. you die first. Yeah. Uh, before you could enjoy it. There are other issues with this, like the, you know, the, un, like the Mary Celeste being unmanned for so long, like they must have lied about that. Like, you're on the sea, things move. Like, you, you can't, even if you drop anchor somewhere, the ship's still gonna move around that anchor. You can't stay in one place. It's the yeah. water. So... When James Winchester finally arrived in Gibraltar on January 5th to figure out when the Mary Celeste could be released to deliver the cargo to its intended destination, Flood demanded that he pay a surety of $15,000, which Winchester, of course, very much did not have. Winchester found out, too, that Flood suspected him as part of a supposed foul play aboard Mary Celeste in Flood's mind... Winchester could have deliberately engaged a crew to kill Briggs, his family, and the officers as part of some conspiracy to take Briggs's shares of the ship or something. Like, he doesn't fully explain why he thinks Winchester would have a reason to do this. On January 29th, Winchester testified to Briggs's character and career as a seaman and captain, insisting that Briggs would have never left the ship unless it was under distress or extreme need. 
Flood's theory of mutiny and murder was also sidetracked by the discovery that the stains on the sword and elsewhere on the ship were not blood, but I could not find what they actually were. Also, in the 1870s, how do you find out it's not blood? Do you lick it? What do you I do? Mean, that's what my mind Right? Is. Isn't that the first thing you think about? Like... I mean... I don't know. I have no clue. Like, how I want to know what kind of testing... develop? Right? Like, I don't... Like, and I don't know what, what was metal. Is the rail metal? Or is it wood? Like, what is this piece? But they just say rail everywhere. And I'm like... I feel like you could be a little bit more descriptive. Nope. Not for you. And, and the fact that they're like, yeah, it wasn't blood. I'm like, then what was it? Bird poop? What did... What was it? And a did you have seagull, to lick that? <laughs> a seagull covered in curry powder? <laughs> Memes, memes, memes. Being our friend is really fun, you you guys. We send each other a lot of memes. Yeah, we're hilarious. In case you hadn't already figured that out. Was that a... Th- <laughs> you tried to give a peace sign, but you were just... I'm lazy right lazy. now. <laughs> I took a muscle relaxant last night and it has not worn off. She got turnt. I got real turnt and slept for... Uh, 14 hours. A really long time. I woke up at 10.30 this morning wow. after getting home last night at like wow. 11. I was already like out in the world at 10.30. Oh no, I know. That is shocking. Yeah. I was but that's down good. to the count. But you needed some rest. Yeah. Corbin came in and it was like, hey, um, babe, do you want to, do you want to get up? You okay? And I was like, what? Why? And he was like, cause it's 10.30 in the morning. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> oh my gosh, I've slept my life away. I hate that feeling. Anyway, I really hope they didn't lick it, but I kind of want to know what it was. Yeah, well, add it to the list for the angel at the desk. Seriously, cocktail hour. Horatio Sprague, the American consul. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just an actual real-life human named Horatio. Yeah, he sounds like a Muppet. In my mind. (laughs) I was going Shakespeare. Oh, well, that makes so much more sense, because there's actually a character named Horatio. I would hope that he's a really good friend. Like, if you named your kid Horatio, you'd hope that he'd grow up to be, like, a really loyal... Yeah. Hufflepuff of a human. The hope, if that's what you name them after, too. Horatio totally was a Hufflepuff. I agree. Yeah. Horatio Sprague, the American consul in Gibraltar, commissioned a report from Captain Schufelt of the U.S. Navy to give thoughts on the cuts on the bow. He determined that they weren't man-made, rather the sea eroding the timber naturally through use, which I kind of have an issue with if the, if the ship had been elongated. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the new... Was the bow part of the, like, new material that they had, like, used to elongate it? Or had they done it off right. the back? Right, or was like, it like, oh, we're going to, like, crack it in the middle and, like, scoot it and add new stuff in the middle? Right. So that, yeah. Yeah, so I don't, and I don't know how that works, and I don't know what these cuts really looked like, because I couldn't find any real description. And we description. couldn't be bothered to look up how to build a boat, because we're not going to. That's a lot, that's, that's way too in-depth for me. No. And, and filled with words I don't know. I already learned three different words by doing this research. Look, Emma was an Air Force brat, okay? Yeah, I know the sky. Reluctantly, Flood released Mary Celeste when his suspicions went unsupported. 
Captain George Blanchford from Massachusetts crewed the ship with locals of Gibraltar two weeks later to deliver the cargo to Genoa, finally. The salvage payout turned out to be 1,700 pounds, which was about one-fifth of the total value of the ship and cargo, and three times less the amount the salvers aboard Dei Gratia should have received. This is most likely due to the fact that the investors and the court still didn't believe that the crew of Dei Gratia didn't have anything to do with the missing aboard Mary Celeste. So, like, they were basically like, yeah, maybe, you, it, like, you guys yeah. may, most likely maybe did something, but we can't prove it, so the only way we can basically punish you is by not giving you the full the payout. Full money. But that's true, I mean, you can't prove that they did it but they you also can't prove that they didn't do anything right so i i kind of get it in that way but it was also like whoa after the disappearance and the knowledge that it could be foul play though the court said it wasn't due to lack of evidence the ship was understandably hard to sell which is what winchester wanted to do finally at a considerable loss the consortium that winchester headed was able to sell it under new ownership Mary Celeste sailed shipments, but was regularly losing money. Owner ship. I know. I made su- I made such a tongue twister and a pun. Yeah. <laughs> you should have sewn his sock shut. Did I tell you? So my mother-in-law, when she was a kid, her brother is a few years older than her, and he went to boarding school when they lived in Oxford. Um, and she went to another like a girl's school nearby for a little while and then went into you know up uh, like upper school what are they they i don't know what they call it upper it's like school that sounds real yeah a level a, something like something, that something something yeah anyway because he went to boarding school he had to have his name sewn into all of his clothes so that when mm. they did laundry it would go back to the right kid right like summer camp yeah and because her mom had passed away and was in charge of this and hated it because she was like, he can learn how to sew. Like, why am I having to do this? And it was like right after her mom passed away too. So her dad was kind of like, "Eh, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know. And so she would get so angry because he would just like drop his socks off to like get their, get his name put into them and he'd never get them mended. So he would always just, you know, they'd buy new socks and all of that. So she'd have to sew his name into it. And she was telling me this story and the first thing that came to my mind, and I couldn't say it fully the way, like when I said it out loud the first time, but I, I said, you should have sewn his sock shut. But it came out as, you should have sewn his sock shut. <laughs> like I couldn't say it fully. And she, I've never seen my mother-in-law laugh so hard <laughs> because of my inability to speak. And then because she finally got what I was saying. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I should have done that. Why didn't I do that? And I was like, because you're too nice. Like you, you would rather like have a, intellectual like debate and argument and then like a real adult conversation to get him to learn how to sew then you would want to have any kind of petty retribution (laughs) meanwhile hi it's me i would have sewn those socks shut so fast sorry liam (laughs) i would have done it i would have done it you would have hated it but under new ownership mary celeste sailed shipments but was regularly losing money The third captain to die prematurely passed in 1879 on the island of St. Helena, but the illness was not surprising and nothing else of note happened until January of 1885. 
Gilman C. Parker, who had taken charge of Mary Celeste in early 1884, conspired with some Boston shippers to fill the ship with worthless cargo and label it all in the ship's manifest as valuable, Mm. insured for $30,000, which is now around $860,000. Parker set sail for Port-au-Prince, or Port-au-Prince, Haiti, with his crew in December. On the 3rd of January, 1885, Parker deliberately ran the ship against the Rocheloy Bank, sorry if I say that wrong, which had a large and well-charted coral reef. So there shouldn't have been a reason for any ship to... Mm -hmm. This intentional wrecking ripped out the bottom of the boat, making it basically unsalvageable, and it sank. The crew and Parker rowed to shore, and Parker sold the cargo that could be saved for $500, putting a claim in for the insurance on the rest, because it was valuable cargo. Mm -hmm. Although Parker was found out for insurance fraud and deliberately wrecking Mary Celeste, which is called Baratry, the case was eventually settled by Parker giving back the money he had received through the insurance claims. Even though the Baratry charge carried a death penalty... Oh. The charge was deferred and he was set free. Like, it was a capital offense at that point, which is terrifying. Maybe, maybe we see less white collar crime. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, but I don't believe in the death penalty. So Me neither. Mind, um... Me neither. But his career was ruined and he died three months later in poverty. One of his co defendants apparently went crazy and another killed himself leading to a historian saying, quote, If the court of man could not punish these men, the curse that had deviled the ship since her first skipper, Robert McClellan, had died on her maiden voyage, could, it, could reach beyond the vessel's watery grave and exact its own terrible retribution. He didn't write that very well. Crime doesn't pay, kids. Basically. A year before the demise of Mary Celeste, the story of the infamous passengers' disappearances was told by the Los Angeles Times, but with some invented detail. Quote, Every sail was set. The tiller was lashed fast. Not a rope was out of place. The fire was burning in the galley. The dinner was standing untasted and scarcely cold. The log written up to an hour before her discovery. End quote. Mm. All very untrue, as we have just discussed. It's so weird to my brain that in a time where big ships and shipwrecks were a thing that Los Angeles existed. Like, my brain right? is like, that's not real. Right? That's like when you, um, what is the internet thing that, like, Anne Frank and Martin Luther King Jr. were born in the same year? Oh, yeah. And you, you think of them in were different like, what? Uh, yeah. No? Right? Yeah. It's It's weird. It's really weird to think about. History, man. In January 1884, the month Mary Celeste was run aground, J. Habakkuk Jepson's statement appeared in Cornhill... Golly, I can't do this. Emma? Emma, what's going on? I just... Emma. <laughs> I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I can't say nothing. In January 1884, the month Mary Celeste was run aground, J. Habakkuk Jepson's statement appeared in Cornhill Magazine of London. This story was an early work of 25-year-old ship's surgeon Arthur Conan Doyle. Ah. 
Hi, buddy. What's up? We have the same birthday. Oh. Yeah. That's fun. The story itself didn't adhere to facts. Um, it was based around the disappearance of the Mary Celeste's crew. He renamed the ship the Marie Celeste, and it outlined a kind of terrorist attack with only one survivor, J. Habakkuk Jepson. Apparently, Doyle didn't intend on having his story taken seriously. Fair enough. But many did so, thinking it could be the explanation as to why the passengers had disappeared so suddenly. In November of 1906, a retelling reported that the Mary Celeste was off the Cape Verde Islands, that the first mate's name was Briggs, and that there were live chickens on board. There were none. Briggs was not the first mate. He was the captain. And it wasn't Cape Verde. It was the Azores. Lots of discrepancies. In 1913, the Strand had an alleged survivor's account from Abel Fostick, who said he was Mary Celeste's steward, but that was Edward Head. His story was that the crew had a swimming contest with a temporary swimming platform on the edge of the boat, but this platform collapsed and everyone in the water was eaten by sharks or drowned in the waves. Hmm. There were so many mistakes in his story, and I'm not even going to go into them because they, they like laid them out. Um, but basically, the details he gave about the crew and the family are so off the mark. There was another survivor story in the 1920s, but again, so many mistakes when it came to the names and basic facts about the Mary mm -hmm. Celeste. Lastly, in 1924 came a story in the Daily Express from Captain R. Lucy, who said he was Mary Celeste's former bosun. No one is noted as this role. It would have been unnecessary for a, a brigantine to have a bosun. Hmm. Um, he said that Briggs and the crew saw a derelict steamer and boarded it to find 3,500 pounds worth of gold and silver in the safe. They split the money, abandoned the ship, and went to seek new lives in Spain using the steamer's lifeboats. And my question immediately is, what about Arthur? Like, uh, yeah. his mom would not have, like, she was like, I am waiting for his letter. She wouldn't have left him, what? No. I mean, do we know what happened to him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was alive in Massachusetts and grew up, had a family, and... Not like, I don't know specific details about his but life, he, but he like, stayed. like yeah. it wasn't like a, a mysterious second uncle showed up at boarding school and was like, hey, you're coming with me. And then. No, but that would be a great story. Yeah. It feels like a story that's already been written. But I mean, you rewrite things all the time. There also seems like no reason to drop the cargo and uh, no reason not to go to Genoa drop the cargo. Yeah, get that And go bag, from there. And then take the treasure. It's a bonus. Right? Like, you wouldn't have to tell anybody that you have anything else other than the cargo because that would be in your personal effects. They would have no reason to go through things. You don't gotta go through customs. Yeah. So, like, at that point, if it were, if, if that were really it, I, as Briggs, I would be like, all right, crew, if you want to, like, also go have a great time in Europe. Go ahead. I'll get some new crew and who don't know that I have all this money. We'll get back to the States and me and my family can just like post up there. I... Peace. Bye. Also, who wants to get in a lifeboat in the open ocean? Right? That mm -mm. No. terrifying. No, no. No, no. Terrifying. And from the position that they were in at the coordinates they were in, you couldn't see land. Boop a doop boop. Have I told you about the movie Adrift? I think that's the name of it. No, but it With sounds Shailene terrifying. Woodley. Woodley. It's based on a true story, oh, and it's God. 
Like, if I hadn't watched interviews with the woman that it's based on, I would have been like, you're lying. This is a movie. It's not real. I, no. I would, I, no. Wild. I I don't want to be terrified. But it's so good. Ugh. It's so good. Real life is so scary. Yeah, it is. That's, I think that's why I listen and read and watch all this stuff about. What if? No, I was going to (laughs) say, I was like. That big old pile of rocks. <laughs> oh, yeah. You mean Everest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Everyone, everyone, be proud of me. I'm there are proud. three new books coming out very soon, and I did not pre-order them. I put them on one-click hold requests at the library. So. I'm very proud. But I love that there are clearly other people like me because I'm like number five or six in nice. line for all of them. And I'm like, I see you, other people that are subscribed to the books we've ordered oh, newsletter. You know what I would love? What? I would love if your library would allow you to like sign up to give your email or your like Zoom name or whatever to people who have read the same book. Like, if you're on hold for a book for a while, like, I would, like, do, like, an unofficial book club, but only if you, like, really want to. Then you can talk to those people about the book, like, especially if they're pretty close to you in line or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, like, every month, like, there's a little book club about, like, one book that you have on, like, or that you had on hold at the library. Because that's, there's a book that I, that I have on hold that I've had on hold for, like, two months because everybody has been wanting to read it. Yeah. And this is where I interject with a commercial to say, friends, get multiple library cards. Do it! It's I am so waiting until the moment that easy. I can get my library card where I'm going to move. Like, I mean, you I'm, probably, and a lot of... Wait, that's not true. I've already done that. Yeah, do it. I did. But also a lot of library systems, if you're like a neighboring county, will let you get a card. Yeah. So I have four different library cards. I now do too. Which helps more for for me, for audiobooks on Libby. Because I can put holds on a book in multiple branches. And then it's like a contest of like... Oh, who's going to get it to me first? Is it going to be Arlington? Is it going to be Alexandria? Oh, it's Mary Riley Styles coming from behind. Like, it's very fun. Yeah, I do that with ebooks. Yeah. yeah. Not that I need, again. I do fun. not need any more books. Thanks for coming to our mini podcast within the podcast. DM us if you want to talk about books. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I have found that my genres are like romantic comedy romances yeah. And uh, fantasy novels, like just broad scope fantasy. Emma is my best friend mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. If you held a gun to my head and told me to pick 10 books, like her top 10 books ever, I'd be, I would die. Yeah. Because I don't know. This is, it's <laughs> so like, weird. Like, unlike both of us. At certain points in our life, and, like, I think less so now, but definitely still an element, like, made loving and reading books our personality. Yeah. And then... We got depression. Like, well... (laughs) No, no, but I'm like... But even with that, like, say, like, Sarah... Well, it makes sense that I know, because Sarah and I went to high school together. But I'm like, 
I know that Sarah Billman and I have a shared history of like these books, certain series or things that we yeah. were like really into in high school. But then I'm like, I have no conception of how much crossover there was to like Emma's literary universe, right? Like, yeah. So sometimes I'll like see his TikTok and I'll be like, this is either I'll be like, either this is just a Sarah Billman share or this is like a th- a throw it out and see if it sticks. <laughs> like, maybe Emma will get this. I don't know. So yeah, like let's talk about books more. Yeah, I'm let's really I'm into that. So here are our theories. Foul play. Although the court of Gibraltar essentially dismissed... What? The one story mentioned there were chickens on board? Yeah. Foul play. Oh my god. (laughs) Maybe they had done that as a pun? Chickens are foul, right? Yeah. Well, foul is bird, so yeah. Sorry. Continue. The theories. Foul play. Although the court in Gibraltar essentially dismissed the claims of foul play, suspicion of it lives on. One of the thoughts is the whole Winchester did it thing, where he had a plan to kill the passengers and crew, and somehow that would end up committing insurance fraud, and he'd get money. There was a lot that was very much not well explained. Another is the one that Flood really wanted to be true. That the crew of Dei Gratia intercepted Mary Celeste, lured the crew aboard their own ship, and killed them to get the salvage money when they got to Gibraltar. But this is argued against, as Dei Gratia was eight days behind Mary Celeste, and if not for the mystery and the ship being cast adrift for nine days, Mary Celeste would have reached Gibraltar and left from there well before they would have had a chance to intercept it. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't, it like, plan-wise... Oh, it, yeah, unless they had someone... On the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, girl, I, I knew it! <laughs> I'm nothing if not predictable. It was good, though. Thank you. Enjoy that musical reference square for those of you who play bingo ever. Yep. And if you do, tag us on Insta in your story. Ding! There was lastly a theory within this foul play um, that Briggs and Morehouse, the captain of Dei Gratia, had conspired together to earn the money from the salvage payout. But it wouldn't make sense to make it such an attention-grabbing mystery, and it would have been easier to take another ship and not just disappear from your own. Doesn't really... It just doesn't really make sense. In 1925, a historian named John Gilbert Lockhart said that there was the possibility that Briggs himself had gone mad somehow and in a fit of religious rage slaughtered everyone, eventually killing himself. This is super unplausible, though, as the ship showed no signs of struggle and no, like, blood spatter. There wasn't, like, people strewn across it. They were all gone. Um, And one man against eight other men... uh, Or not eight other men. Five other men. um, With only one sword... Like, it just, it, I don't know. It seems very implausible. Yeah. Our next theory is pirates. Arg. Arg. Riffian pirates from northwestern Africa had been active off the coast of Morocco in the 1870s and would have been in the same waters as the Mary Celeste at the time. But 
pirates would have looted the ship, and most of the crew and family's personal belongings were still there. And it's like, when you think of personal belongings, it's like, you know, potentially books and things like that, but they're also- A sword. There was a sword. There was, uh, you know, jewelry. Ooh. There was tons of six months worth of food. If you're, like, you would definitely take that. Like, that's valuable. And the cargo, though it might have been considered useless because it was ethanol, they could have sold it off mm -hmm. and it was left behind. They would have at least taken the sword. So it just, that, that just seems implausible. Also, if you were trying to loot and murder or kidnap people and not go for a salvage fee... Why not just strike a match, shoot a cannonball? Because then it, you'd sink the ship and then... Yeah, let like, it burn. No one would know. No one would know. Yeah. Because the ethanol, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. If you figured out what it was, easy burn. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really understand that theory. So that was a good segue because now the next is Explosion. The removal of the crew and family from the boat and into the water in the lifeboat could have been a preventative or temporary safety measure on Briggs's part. The rigging and the ropes on the ship could indicate that the company intended to use them to climb back up onto the boat once any danger aboard had passed because they were slung over the side. Mm. The rigging could have been attached to the, to the boat, so like the rigging on the ship could have been attached to the lifeboat, but if loose or cut, the Mary Celeste would sail away, leaving its company behind, because they wouldn't really have been able to get close enough in order to climb back up. Mm -hmm. If the crew thought that the boat was about to sink with the 3.5 feet of water in the hold, or that the ethanol was going to explode, as could happen and may have been a concern, it would have been dangerous either way to attach the lifeboat to the ship. So that would be an odd reason to leave the ship and not have any way of getting like, it, it wouldn't necessarily be a temporary safety measure. You'd be like, evacuate. Right. That's what you're doing. Evacuate the dance floor. We're done. Yeah. They could have thought someone would find them before they were, like, lost to the sea or something. Because this was actually, this route that they were taking was a very common trade route. Like, it's mm -hmm. like flight patterns. Mm -hmm. They're, it's very common. Briggs was also a very experienced captain, and even if part of the ship had the capability of exploding, he would have known that it would be safer on the boat than it would have been packing the whole crew and his wife and very young daughter into a lifeboat. Because it was so far down in the hold, and it had other, like, like it had other decks between them and, like, if they were up mm -hmm. high enough, because he would have been at the helm, like, it would have blown something but the possibility could be that you would actually be able to continue sailing at least to the nearest land mm -hmm. in order to get things fixed. Right. So. Another investigator in the 20th century named Arthur N. Putman thought the following. This is a whole quote from our mother source. Quote, Putman laid special stress on the fact that only a single lifeboat was missing from the vessel. He discovered that the rope of the boat was cut, not untied, which indicated when the Mary Celeste was abandoned, it was done quickly. Several times in the ship's log, there is mention of ominous rumbling and small explosions from the hold. Cargoes of petroleum naturally give off explosive gas, and these sounds described are quite common. 
He supposes that one day there was a more intense explosion and a sailor ventured below deck with a light or lit cigar, which set off the accumulated fumes, causing an explosion violent enough to blow off the top covering on the hatch, which had been found in unusual position. Putnam ends his theory that in a panicked terror, the captain, family, and crew piled into the lone lifeboat, cut the rope, and set out on sea, abandoning the vessel. End quote. So it's a possibility. But with as experienced as... He had 13 years on sea. Mm-hmm. And that is a very long time at this point. He, he was very experienced and very good at what he did. And this was not his first time transporting ethanol. Mm-hmm. So he would know what those sounds were. And he would have, if they didn't know, told his crew that as well. Mm-hmm. So it makes no sense to me that they would be like, I'm going to go down there and figure out what's happening. Like, you'd be like, no. Like, that's normal. You don't need to worry about it. Right. Leave it alone. Another theory is that Briggs got off course. That he had misdirected the ship. And it was several nautical miles off of what was the established route. And he had expected to see land well before the last log was written. This is an interesting theory, and though Briggs was an excellent seaman, and this was a normal route, it's plausible that if he thought that they were lost or too far from land, that he would evacuate them. But it doesn't seem safe. Like, I don't, like, it's plausible of, like, a, maybe we can row to see, I don't know, you're on a ship, why would you leave? Right. It's a sailing vessel, like, you would have been able to get there faster rather than rowing. Well, and even if, because this is the thing sometimes, if the winds aren't cooperating, and the sails are the only way you have, like, you may be stuck for a little while. But if you're so used to that. anywhere, but why, you And there's no land in sight? Yeah, why would you... It makes no sense to me. Yeah, no. Now we have weather. So Duvaux, the first mate on the Dei Gratia, tried to explain his own theory. He found the makeshift sounding rod on deck and thought that Briggs may have abandoned ship after a false sounding, which, because of the possible malfunction of the pumps or something similar, made it seem as though the ship was taking on a lot of water very quickly. Remember, there was like... There were two dismantled pumps. The sounding rod was already a makeshift thing. It wasn't the usual one. My guess is that someone accidentally threw it overboard. But anyway. An extreme water spout strike, which is basically a water tornado. Terrifying. Right before abandoning ship could explain the amount of water and the ragged sails and rigging. A water spout causes low barometric pressure, which would have driven water into the pumps, making the crew think that the ship was taking on water and sinking more than it actually was. Another possibility was a sea quake, or an earthquake on the seabed, that would have caused enough turbulence to damage some of the cargo, which would have released noxious fumes from the barreled ethanol. The displaced hatches would have been could have been them inspecting or trying to air out the hold, because there were two Mm -hmm. um, hatches that were open and the main hatch was closed. So it could have been that they were like, you know, let's just air out the gross smelling stuff. In 2006, Channel 5 aired a segment where chemist Andrea Sella of University College London conducted an experiment to test out the explosion theory. He built a model of the hold with paper cartons representing the barrels and used butane gas to create an explosion that caused a large blast and a ball of flame 
but left no fire damage within the hold. It was a pressure wave explosion that left no burning or scorching. But my question is, is if it was a barrel that exploded, was it just disintegrated? Like, Duvaux and Wright didn't note, like, they counted the barrels. Mm -hmm. And they didn't note that any were, like, in pieces. Right. So, like, and a barrel isn't just wood, it also has metal on it. Mm-hmm. So, like, what happened to the metal? <laughs> what yeah. happened to the... Like, it the explosion not creating any kind of scorching, I get. Because that's physics. That's, like, a, mm-hmm. ball of, a ball of flame just right. basically contracting it on itself because it's burning up all of the uh, fumes. Right. But it... Re- I don't... I just don't... I don't understand it if you can't find... The pieces. Yeah. They wouldn't they wouldn't disintegrate. And he he was using paper, so of course it would have disintegrated that. It would have burned that up almost completely. So mm-hmm. it's not like there would be anything left in that capacity. But anyway. The last collection of theories fall under the title The Paranormal. Do, 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 do. Or the Cryptid. Because the first is Kraken. We back. Hello, Beastie. Hello. So the Chambers Journal in September 17th of 1904 suggested that the entire company of the Mary Celeste was plucked off by a giant octopus or squid, just like the Kraken. She's just having a little snack. I want this one, and I want this one. I like it. Yeah. But this doesn't feel right since there was no real damage done to the ship and the fact that the navigational equipment and the lifeboat were missing doesn't feel explained with this either. Like there would she be She just wanted some fiber, okay? Right? <laughs> the second is the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Similarly, others have floated this idea um floated. I know. I, <laughs> that one was intentional. <laughs> But this doesn't seem plausible at all since, you know, that's not where Bermuda is. <laughs> um, Emma, you forgot your own episode. Does the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle? Triangle actually extends up to Ireland. Yeah, so maybe... The entire like, Atlantic Ocean, basically, is, is the Bermuda Triangle. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the amount of, like, boats sinking at this point in time was probably, like, plenty to you know cultivate those kinds of stories and stuff so pose dunno and of course aliens abducting the entire crew has been floated but there's no real evidence for this one yeah there wouldn't be absolutely not duh 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 and lastly this is a comment from the comment section of BuzzFeed's unsolved episode of this from Can't Stay Away, that's their handle. Quote, they traveled to Roanoke, met up with the colony there, then they all traveled to the Flannan Isles and got the lighthouse keepers to join them, and then they were all abducted by aliens. Yes! End quote. Yes! <laughs> and that is the story of the Mary Celeste, not Mary Rosa. Yeah, Tom. It was really cute, though. So, yeah. 
I'm sorry. I, I feel like I kind of stole it from you, but I but it was such a I had such a good in for this because That's of fine. Tom. I can now close out that group of tabs on my <laughs> browser. Well, because I was doing it was between this one and the Flannan Isles. Oh, that's right. And then I've been, like, holding it because it was like, well, I don't want to do it too close together because it's basically the same. Yeah. Like, we don't know. We don't know. We'll never know. Well, and we went from the sea with Kraken to space with the moon landing, and then we went back to the sea. Back to the ocean. Yeah. Has there, you, you may not, you probably don't have this answer, but have there, have there ever been any accounts of people claiming I mean not nowadays obviously but like mm-hmm. around the time did anyone try to like Anastasia people no. not that I could find if they if they did I didn't I didn't see it anywhere um, maybe that was before like big tabloid energy. I mean sensationalism was a huge thing at this point so I I mean I'm kind of surprised that they didn't do that yeah um, like imagine some young woman shows up like yeah 15 years later, and it's like, I am... Sophia. Whatever, yeah. Sophia Briggs. My entire family got eaten by a Kraken. Right. And I rode with my two little two-year-old hands in a boat. All by myself. Grandmother, it's me. Me. Sophia. Sophia the first... Remember that part of the pandemic, everybody? Probably not, because you all have lives. Balsamic vinegar? There's a big word for Elmo. Anyway, thanks for listening to our big words, friends. If you have thoughts, feelings, or opinions, email us, DM us. Let us know what Let you want us, us to do text next. Text us, you know. Yep. We, we appreciate all of you who have done that. Um, a mailbag should be coming fairly soon. You'll get it at some point in the new year. <laughs> but we love you regardless um and remember this podcast doesn't exist yes I'm just really proud of us we didn't we didn't do anything after <laughs> actually closed it out